to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. So we're back this week to talk about the, just a recap of season one. Yep. To do a thematic and analytical recap of the nine hours-ish of television that we've just watched. Yep. Um, yeah. Where do you want to start? Well, I've got some overview no, not overview. I've got different kind of s- sections and chunks that we want to talk about. Uh, let's start with the ratings and reaction, because I know that's something you like to discuss, and you've you've done a bit of research here. So let's, yeah, let's a go bit, over yeah. that to start. Well, I just, uh, to, you know, we've been talking about the show specifically, but, but to bring it back, just cast your mind back to the first episode of this podcast when we kind of detailed a little bit of the production history of the, the TV, of, the, of Twin Peaks. Um... You have Mark Frost and David Lynch, who've been working together. Uh, Mark Frost did work on Hill Street Blues, which I didn't know. I know. Um, David Lynch was obviously working in film, and they were brought together to work on a Warner Brothers project about the life of Marilyn Monroe, which we talked about. And that didn't get off the ground. And then they did another project, which was called One Saliva Bubble, that also did not get off the ground. Um, so all these projects they were working on were not going anywhere. But in the meantime, they, they struck up a, a quite a good working relationship. And um, in the 1988, during the 1988 Writers Guild uh, of America strike, they had come up with this idea, this very basic idea of a, a town like the town of Lumberton in Blue Velvet mm-hmm. with this seedy underbelly and um, kind of a patent place vibe to it you know are you familiar no. with Peyton Place no idea what that is a novel you know similar kind of stuff yeah, happening exactly. in it okay yeah. sure um David Lynch had this idea for the, you know the girl next door with the leading a desperate double life mm-hmm. um the idea uh, they moved it eventually deciding that North Dakota wasn't the the place that for this show moved it to the Pacific Northwest developed a lumber mill this idea of the body washing up on shore this was all they had when they went to ABC to pitch the Pretty show. Good. That was it. Yeah. Uh, the girl, the body, and a lumber mill. Like, yeah. basically some very, very basic ideas. Yeah. And the creative, or the the head of drama at the time was impressed and ordered the pilot. Um, by the time they started working on the pilot, he had been dismissed or left the position. Mm-hmm. And Bob Iger took over. And he was the one who, he was a champion for the show, um, at the head of all the other, this was the sorry, the president of of ABC was okay. Bob Iger. Yeah. He was he was really um, gung ho on the show. Yeah, he was pretty crucial in getting it on the air because there were a lot of other execs below him who were not convinced that this was going to make it. Um, and until they showed it to a younger demographic, it didn't. Like I don't think it it was going to make it on the air. Really, I think so I think it's the younger. And stuff? Yeah, and when they did it for a test audience, of, you know. I don't know what the age bracket is. Probably 18 to 34, maybe up to 40. Well, back then it might have been slightly different because there were different demographic demographics. Of right. Generix would have just been the big one, maybe sort of been yeah, 20 people in their 20s and their yeah. 30s, right? Yep. Those yep. are the people that they were going to try and capture, and and they loved it. So that's what eventually got it on the air. Cool. Um, so yes, the pilot was made for four million dollars. It was screened at the Museum of Broadcasting to mixed reviews. A lot of people thought it was not going to be commercially successful, and uh, but when it was aired, as we mentioned, it was the highest-rated television movie of the 1989-1990 season, which ended mid-April 1990. So 
the pilot episode of Twin Peaks was the only one that made it onto the, the previous uh, ratings chunk. Yeah. When you're talking about the rate, like when you look at the ratings, and we did, we, we went back and found some interesting stuff about the Nielsen ratings yeah. for that season. Twin Peaks is not included in the 89-90 season because it, it came on so late in the year. Uh, it was started, just after the, the, yeah, the, the season ended. Yeah. yeah. So, but the, but the, the TV movie, the pilot did make it in and it was the highest rated. It ended up being fifth overall for that week. It was the fifth rated TV show on that week. Mm-hmm. Um, but ABC had, I think that was the third show of theirs in the top five. So ABC did really well that week yeah, yeah. in terms of, of ratings, considering that they were lagging in third place at the yeah. time. So, um, which kind of explains why they took the risk on Twin Peaks. Um, but it doesn't explain why they put the show on Thursday nights, which is something that I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, it because yeah. um, uh, Thursday nights at 9. 9 o'clock. Which, when you look at the, the TV schedule, and we'll post the link for you uh, under the SoundCloud. Uh, Comment section area. Yeah. When you look at the, the schedule for Thursday nights... 1989-90, Twin Peaks is on at 9, and it's playing directly opposite Cheers, which is third out of four shows on uh, NBC's Thursday night must-see TV lineup, which included The Cosby Show, which was number two in the ratings, A Different World, which was number four, Cheers, which was number three, and then Wings, which was, I think, a new show this season. Yes. Possibly the no, previous season. Yeah, I don't remember the history of Wings that long. It might have started a little bit But it was early, fairly yeah, new. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like this was an established show. But these were these were popular comedies that appealed to the same demographic that Twin Peaks was attempting to appeal to. Yeah. And what what I want to know is who in their right mind <laughs> decides to put Twin Peaks in a slot where Dynasty was in that slot and did poorly. Mm. Um, it's spinoff was called the Colby's and it did poorly in that exact same, same slot. slot yeah. So why would they put another kind of soap opery type of show in a slot that was doing poorly yeah. unless they wanted the show to not do well? And a lot of the execs were kind of it, it sounds like if they weren't hoping for it, they kind of thought this was more likely that they'd order the seven episodes and the pilot and it would play as a mini series and that would be it. Yeah. And you have to wonder if that's maybe part of the reason why they fought to put it on Thursday nights. Because I don't see any reason why you'd want to put it on Thursday night. Any other night of the week would have been better. Well, it depends on what you mean by better. From a network perspective, you put your strongest show against the other guy's strongest show. Exactly. So well, I you, don't think Twin Peaks is their strongest show. Well, I, really? Because it did. Well, okay. okay, no. Here's the thing. If I'm, head of broad, if I'm head of programming and I see a 42 million audience rating on the movie mm-hmm. i'm saying yeah throw that thing at thursday night let's see if we can okay. battle it out but then once, once your show starts lagging and it did because the the pilot did bring in like we said top it was a huge yes it was a huge success yes then the second episode it lost like 40 percent of its viewers yeah and then the third episode lost another 13 percent. sure and you'd expect that going against cheers and right stuff. So, so then at that point wouldn't you move it why if it's if it's going to be better than anything else you can put in that time slot you're losing advertising dollars what else every, do they have? every million viewers you have or you lose you're losing millions and millions of dollars in ad revenue so okay. you have to put your strongest show against their strongest okay, show okay but i'm just saying that abc had roseanne on yeah, Tuesday which could nights. have been, yeah. They could have put Roseanne yeah. on, on Thursday nights mm-hmm. and to compete with Cheers. Well they had coach they had they had some strong shows. Not on at this time though. Oh, wasn't it this time? No. I just saw it on the Did list you? there. 
Yeah, on Tuesday. Oh, Coach, there you go. Yeah. I mean, these these are shows that are at least ranking, yeah. right? Uh, Doogie Hauser, which well, and it's ended it's up... a bit of differentiation too. I mean, okay, yeah, Twin Peaks is a is a uh, soap opera. It has soap opera elements at least, but it's a very different show than of course it is than anything else that's on. So I mean, if you're gonna try and get away from the aw shucks kind of Cheers comedy, mm-hmm. I can't think of a better show than Twin Peaks. Right, to... but but if you're worried about the show not doing well and you're gonna put well, it up against Cheers and then say, geez, it's not doing well, well we're gonna that, maybe that, not renew it for next year. That's it not what make happens. A lot of sense. That's not what happened. I don't think that was the concern. I think for them, they're not. They're not worried about the show. The network is not worried about a single show. The network has all these time slots to yeah. fill and only so much money to spend and advertising money to take in. So for this one, Twin Peaks was a fairly big success and it was doing pretty well against Cheers. I mean, that's that's what I take away from that is even if it lo- if it went from number one to number two um, in a time slot, that's still pretty good. Yeah, but it for- didn't. It was last in its time slot almost every week. Really? It was yes. it was losing note to Island Sun, Top of the Hill, Max Monroe, no, these, the Loose these, Cannon. No, hun, you, yeah, not... I'm reading CBS co- comparisons. Yes, but only spring. It was against Falcon Crest. Okay, sure. And then after that, and it against was... Cheers and yeah. against Wings. Okay. Like it's it's it was not doing well. It it never did well. That's the thing. It was critically acclaimed, but in terms of ratings. Well, okay, because but even neither when was Seinfeld, to... and it right. picked up, right? Like, right, that's yes, it did pick they up. They also and have that's shows, the yeah. That they could have waited, and maybe it would have picked well, up. And they, but... Yeah. But I mean, what well, yeah. Okay, but also, start of season two, it does come in. Uh, it had huge ratings at the start of season two. Yeah, again, for right? the first 15 minutes yes, of that. Yes, and we'll get into that later when we discuss season yes. two. But I'm saying uh, it, it did very well. All things considered, it was it was still in my mind a success, or else it wouldn't have stayed in a Thursday time slot next year. It didn't stay in the Thursday time slot; it was on Saturday nights. Oh, okay, so point proven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is this is what I'm getting at. So even like May seventh, so this is you know the th- three four episodes of aired. Uh, the Orlando Sentinel writes an article, and again, I'll put all these links up for you to watch or to look at, but. They're saying, you know, May 7th, 1990, the opening line, after a spectacular start, Twin Peaks seemed to have settled into middle ranks of the Nielsen ratings, which is the best possible news. Mediocre ratings mean ABC will be less tempted to turn the quirky delicacy into a regular series next fall. So this is only like halfway through the first season, and they're already ringing its death knell. So it's, it, you know, reading reading these articles is like, we, we were talking about this, it's like a time capsule for, you know, seeing what people were were thinking about this yeah and and it and that that's my concern it's just it's a brand new show it's like putting a baby in you know a middle of a pack of wolves yeah you know why would you do that it doesn't make a lot of sense you you want to protect that that new show especially yeah. if if the network president was such a champion of it that's true why wouldn't they have put it and there were execs who did ask why why isn't it on Wednesday nights? Why well, couldn't we've put it another been their, show on? Their follow up to Tuesday. I mean, if they have Roseanne and and Coach on Tuesday night, and mm-hmm. they both do really well, why not throw Tim Peaks on after that? Or something yeah, put like it on that, at right? ten o'clock. Like if put you're gonna on. yeah take over Tuesday. Yeah, you know if NBC has Thursday. Like it just it day, seems yeah. like they're they're just there were some questionable decisions being made that um, you know, and and this is. People can argue about whether it's the quality of the writing that was... I think the quality of the writing, we both think the quality of the writing in season one was fairly consistent. It was it was really yeah, good. There was Nothing some, like season two. Yeah, season two had a lot of variation. Where it was all spotty, and, but and, well, season one seemed to be very consistent. Yeah. And so that, to me, is like... 
when you have a show that's consistent in quality, I don't think you can blame you can blame the quality of the TV for for declining ratings. I think you have to look at where the show is, and being up against well, Cheers is see, is that's n- the other thing. not a good. Yeah, I agree, but I mean, they they had success in other time slots with different shows. I don't. I, you're right. I think yes, at that time in the 1990s. Uh, it was very hard to obviously watch. It was basically impossible to watch two shows. So yeah, they were they were making yeah. choices, and uh, yeah, no, it's true. So I, I mean, mean, this is this okay. is my question. Okay, go ahead. I was just wondering, would it have done better in another time slot? And sub question. Yes. Would it have? Because you brought this up yourself, it was impossible to watch two shows unless you had a VCR. Yeah, which, which was not starting to get did. going, but not much, yeah. We have PVRs now. It's easy yeah, yeah. to tape a show and watch it later. Well, but even then, the way the Nielsen's were calculated was what you were watching at that time exactly. slot. Exactly. So, so it, it probably wouldn't yeah. have mattered. But, but, I mean, would the show have been have been a success in another time slot? Well, yeah, I think so. I think, uh, especially if it was able to hold on to us the time slot. I mean, we, we were even talking about, uh, with the season one finale, we were talking about how that was aired on a Wednesday. Yeah, and it did better. For reasons. It did better. Exactly, it did better there. But even then, I mean, consistency of time slots is a major issue back in network TV uh, back in the day. Now it's probably less important, but it's still talked about. Yeah, I don't don't think there are many shows that get shuffled around the way that shows were shuffled around. Yeah, not very often. And I don't know what the reason is for that, why people were shuffling so much. Was it just because they were trying to capture lightning in a bottle? Yeah, but there's also probably a lot of politics and power dynamics at play. I mean, these were huge companies with lots of people involved in the process. And you just, yeah, you fall into a political hole when you get into that. So I'm sure there was a lot of it. Someone didn't like the show. They did everything they can to sabotage. I mean, I remember watching the Seinfeld uh, mm-hmm. behind the scenes stuff and yes. how, how uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld were, you know, they really, they wanted the Thursday time slot. And when they got it for season yes. two, I think, especially, they were like, they followed up Cheers and they were like, yeah, we can make this a big success. Yeah. And it was a huge deal for them. If they'd been on any other day of the week, which I think they were for couple episodes maybe i don't remember but yeah um it made a big impact and yeah so if twin peaks had 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 followed on some other abc successes it it might have might have done better I, yeah, well, yeah i, I think mean because if you look at the shows that they did have on there were some shows that ended up being big like doogie hauser was a mm-hmm. kind of a, a smash hit. well it was it was a hit for a while a yeah hit. um roseanne coach yeah i mean these are these are uh sort of appealing to the same demographic i would imagine mm-hmm. So if you played off of that, or America's Funniest Home Videos, which was a huge, a huge hit yeah. for for ABC at that point, yeah. different demographic, but still, yeah. Well, if that's, you're gonna that's the if thing, you're yeah. gonna put a new show, and if you really want it to be a success, you'd put it after a successful show. You'd put it in a time slot where it will do well. Yeah. That just makes me think that they didn't want it to do well. Yeah. The, yeah. And there probably were people who didn't want to. Which is surprising then, because because the show was picked up. May 22nd, 1990 was when the announcement was made. The day before the finale aired on that that Wednesday, the last day of the May sweeps. Um, an article in the New York Times came out on May 25th saying that that was when ABC was, it was official that it was the last in the, the ratings. But it was a close ratings year. The sweeps month was was the closest in like a decade or something yeah. at that point. So, I mean, maybe there was just a lot of quality shows on. Looking at the schedule, it doesn't look like it. There are wow. a lot of shows that I've never heard of that well, are on now, that schedule. you're just like, yeah, it's a but, joke. But uh, back then, yeah. But yeah, I mean... This is the official reason that people give for why Twin Peaks didn't do well is because of the ratings. And I don't know what came first. And I think if it was if it was the show being shuffled around on the schedule 
or bad we, scheduling or if it was yeah. and we can come back uh, to that controlled. after the series yeah after the but series it's something to think about and well, uh, i just wanted to bring it well, up well no yeah and, but i mean for season one it was consistent it was on thursday nights yes, except for the finale it had okay numbers it was yeah. second or third every time um but i mean yeah it was a, i mean cheers was a powerhouse it really it is it's crazy to think of how big the viewership for that show was at that time. Well, it, was, it wasn't just Cheers, but it was NBC tapping into this whole, like, this is the night when you stay in and watch TV. Yes, they really, and that and they even really lasted throughout that. the 90s oh, yeah. up until Friends ended, really. Yeah, Friends yeah. was the last... Kind of the death knell of that whole... So now, thing. I mean, we don't watch a lot of uh, scheduled TV. We tape it if we want to watch yeah. it now. So there's no real event TV that you Yeah, that I you mean, tune sports is the only... Yeah. Major thing which is timed, yeah. Like exactly. Beyond that, there's nothing. So. so, I mean, this was this was huge, and that was that was what NBC's uh, success was. Other shows maybe or other networks could have tried that, but I didn't. You know, aside from you know ABC having Monday Night Football and you know those types of things, nobody really seemed to be into well, nobody scheduling be, blocks the yeah, way that NBC did. Yeah, and doing it so successfully, right? I mean, they they. They pioneered that. That was that was that was just a great cultural it shift. Was. It was absolutely. like, hey, nobody wants to go out on Thursday night because they just want to get Friday over with. So just stay in and enjoy. You cheers. Know. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> and well, yeah. I mean, yeah. all these other shows. That, yeah. That they had on. Yeah, so. Cosby Show and stuff like. Yeah, that, huge yeah, shows. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah. No. So it's definitely changed. One thing they did do well in though was not if it wasn't the ratings was uh, Emmy nominations. They got fourteen oh, yeah. that year, right? Yes, they did, and. Uh, they did win. No, they didn't win. Or they did they win. They did too. win. They, they won did editing win. and costume. Uh, so they were nominated. Yes, you said fourteen yeah. at the forty second primetime Emmy Awards. Outstanding drama series. Outstanding lead actor in a drama series for Kyle MacLachlan. Outstanding lead actress in a drama series for Piper Laurie. Outstanding supporting actress in a drama series for Sherilyn Fenn. Outstanding directing in a drama series for David Lynch. Outstanding writing in a drama series for David Lynch and Mark Frost. Outstanding writing in a drama series Harley Payton. Outstanding art direction for a series. Outstanding achievement in main title theme music. Outstanding achievement in music composition for a series, dramatic underscore. Outstanding achievement in music and lyrics. And outstanding series, sound editing for a series. And it won for costume design and outstanding editing for a series, single camera production. Yeah. Okay. That's impressive. Well, yeah, for that's a crazy. new show. This is what I mean. It had critical acclaim. Yeah. Like it was it was far and away uh the most different thing that you would see on TV at that point in time and that's reflected in the number of of nominations. Yeah, that they had. yeah, exactly. Those those nominations. I mean, that's that's like West Wing levels when I yeah. remember the first season of the West Wing they just like every actor was, was nominated yeah. and yeah yeah so it's episode, yeah. but i think that we we looked this up and i don't know how this stacks up to other shows but four million dollars for the pilot and 1.1 million dollars for each of the subsequent seven episodes of the first series yeah. that seems like a lot of money to me for for I a one hour episode probably pretty average actually i remember uh star trek the next generation oh they were on 87 yeah um and they were doing syndicated first run so it was it's a little different production schedule and everything but it sounded like theirs was only like around a million as well actually um hmm. but they blew it all on very elaborate sets which is uh, know, and and i'm sure special effects had yeah exactly yeah they had they had a lot there but, but when you look at a show like twin peaks that doesn't have a lot to it it's it's filmed you know they reuse a lot of the sets oh yeah well that's the thing like I think a lot of it probably went to cast because they had such a huge cast, and yeah. frankly, some of them and were coming out of movies. And writing and directing that you had to. Yeah, I just I just think that they they put their money in the right places. I think because it looks like a really good show. It's it's the quality of of Twin Peaks stands up even today. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Aside set, from, in terms I mean, of like you, set design and everything. Yeah, about, some yeah. of the the special effects are. Oh well, yeah. But the, that's nineteen ninety. Yeah. 
level computer generated. Well, if that even it's effect. rotoscoping and stuff like that. Like so yeah, so, some of it was. So yeah. It, but yeah, I mean it's um, it it that that is all very new for tv i think is having this movie well it's not movie level budgets no. but it's well, I mean, higher what, i think it was higher than what most tv uh, directors and producers were used to dealing with like that kind of money yeah. well but yeah i mean like uh they did build all the sets in the first week like they had all the sets ready for the i think the second episode i, I saw yeah documentary well that, that when they started filming in california yeah exactly yeah done. so after the and the they film an episode a week yeah so it was a short production. Uh, oh yeah, well it's you know. yeah it's still broadcast TV, so it's still quick turnarounds and yeah. everything. And um, but yeah, I mean once the sets are built, that's their major like in yeah. infrastructure capital cost. So after that, it's mostly just salaries of writers, directors, uh, you know, actors, especially in this in this case, and then your your crews and stuff. So um, yeah, I don't. Well, and that donut budget must have been. Well, that's that's the, the thing. Roof. Like they did okay. They had a lot of. Uh, <laughs> A lot of set dressing stuff there, so. But yeah, it it looks like a good show, and it it no. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. I mean, you compared it to The West Wing. I think that's a fair comparison. You know, ten years apart, these two shows that that have movie quality. It was like watching a mini movie every week. Yeah, but on 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 a slightly higher TV budget. Yeah. Yeah, Which yeah. is impressive. Yeah. I mean, and West Wing have... had a much bigger budget, even adjusted yes, for inflation, because sure. they had all the stars. But yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... but yeah, I mean, they, they still catered to that. It, it, it launched this whole idea of, of TV being more than just banal yeah. entertainment. This Laughing was... and, yeah, like, yeah, fitting the, the archetypes of, you know, crime dramas or yeah, soap operas exactly. or sitcoms and, yeah, doing something a little different. And yeah. then... You know, in this case, West Wing was a bit more um, highbrow, and they nailed like they had like it was like sixty seventy percent of the over one hundred fifty thousand or over a hundred thousand dollar income yes. or something like that. I remember they just they dominated that demographic for basically the whole run of the show. Uh, but Twin Peaks, yeah, I, Twin Peaks sounds like they didn't have that. They had a bit more broad based yeah. thing, but it, it was kind of maybe a bit more artsy crowd, a little more. Right. They were a little. Ti- they were people who were tired with traditional television yeah. and stuff who weren't going to watch Cheers anyways, they might have yeah, tuned maybe for Twin Peaks craving the mystery and, and yeah. working types because we talked about this being a water cooler show. So mm-hmm. Thursday night is the perfect night to air it on that regard because yeah. then you come to work on Monday and everybody wants to talk and not do any work anyway. So yeah. let's discuss what did Cooper's dream mean, right? Yeah. So, um, Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like Cheers didn't have that. So, I mean, even if no. – even if people did watch Cheers, they might still hear about Twin Peaks the next day. And that's the thing. I, I think beyond the ratings, um, which are great and whatever, they they give a numeracy to everything, but um, cultural impact-wise, yeah. um, I mean, Cheers has been on for a couple of years, obviously, already, so it wasn't as big of a deal, but Twin Peaks blew it all out of the water. They were on time. They were all the, the girls were on the cover of Rolling Vogue Stone. and Rolling Stone. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, so like, in terms of like a new show having a big cultural impact, oh yeah, it was gigantic. Who shot Cooper? Who killed yeah. Laura Palmer? Killed these Laura were Palmer, these yeah. were big questions that yeah. people for for nine hours of TV. These were things that people really wanted to know about, yeah. and and um, and they lasted a long time. Like when you think about Cheers or you think about Roseanne, there are some significant plot moments that you remember, like Sam and Diane, or you yeah. remember, you know, this the second to last season of Roseanne where it was revealed that it was all a dream. Dream, oh yeah. I mean, these these, these are things, but but I mean, in a, in, a, in a half hour comedy, 
a half hour sitcom. Yeah. It's not you're not gonna have those big moments, I don't think, that you would no, have. No, I mean on Cosby had like when the kids move out and stuff like that. Yeah, like there was still that sure. kind of stuff going on, but yeah, it was yeah, not it was not on the same level as no. as the kind of um so in terms of memorability memorability. Twin, memorability? That's that's not a word, but we'll go with it. What's the word I'm looking for? Memorableness. I don't think <laughs> that's, that's a, a word, word either. either. We'll go but it, it's it's a show that sticks in your mind for a lot of reasons. And and I think a lot of that had to do with fantastic story in the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful acting. And the production value that they put into it. There's just so much that that the music and the shots yeah. and... and the ideas well, that are being brought forward. Yeah, they created like an iconic, iconograph, iconography? Iconography? Iconography. I'm glad you can pronounce the wordings. <laughs> um, like they created their own. And that yeah. that's that's very unique for, for television at this time. I mean, everything was shot the same way. Yeah. Like there was no, there was no art in, in, uh, in television at the time. No. Like really there was, there was no, there's no pretense of that. It was there as pure entertainment and even that, that Orlando Sentinel mm-hmm. article you brought up, I noticed that it, it was like, well, this show is just too much for television. It doesn't work for episodic TV. Yeah. It's, it would be grating to have this much going on all the time. And, I'm and like, yet now we have shows like Mad Men or we have shows like... Oh, well, that, just the tons of that, television that we have is just... Well, and, yeah, and but it's, it, it, it has it's all packed in into an hour. A lot happens and people eat it up. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's just, I mean, HBO showed that, you know, people were ready for this. Yeah. And I think Twin Peaks, like, we've talked about this already on air, I think, was, uh, it's a precursor to that. It's, it's. Oh, yeah, this is saying, the show that, that started it all yeah, for that. exactly. Like, saying, oh, wow, you can do this on television. Yeah. And then people went and did it, and they've been eating it up ever since, all the way to Game of Thrones. Really. Yeah, <laughs> like, and, and. It's an unbroken chain, really, from here. Breaking so. Bad and. Well, yeah, all of them. I mean, it's just, yeah, AMC, HBO, now Netflix. Uh, Showtime. Yeah, Showtime. Obviously yeah, bringing now. back Twin Peaks. So. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, I like what you said about the art being mm-hmm. on TV, because that's something that, I mean, when you when you get someone like David Lynch to direct a TV series, you can't expect that it's going to look like anything else on TV anyway. But um, he, he, his ideas are what makes this show unique. I mean, Mark Frost had that that TV writer sensibility that mm-hmm. he clearly brought the show. Channeled, yeah. And, and the, the show would not have been a success if it had just been David Lynch. No. It had to have been the <laughs> both of them. And a lot of people forget about Mark Frost. And I'm so glad he's getting his due now. Because, well, and, and fans of the show have always given him his due, but everybody thinks about Twin Peaks as being a David Lynch show, and it's not fair because it's not just him. So, yeah, I but, mean, the, the, to be fair, the best parts of it are David Lynch. Like, <laughs> the David Lynch episodes are by far the best episodes, and they have the most stuff going on, and they're, they're the ones that break new ground. Well, yeah, they're the interesting ones that, that are the most different, and they're the ones you remember. Exactly. And then from there, the rest of the directors and, and writers kind of kept the ball rolling really until sure. the next David Lynch episode is really how it kind of worked out sadly it's yeah. kind of it's kind of a shame but um and in this first season you only get there's only the th- two episodes that he directed the pilot and then uh the dream episode so most of and this the se- and the last episode no that was Mark Frost remember he directed oh, that right. last one right and yes, it's a very right. tv episode i mean there's yeah. some semi interesting shots but not nothing like what David Lynch brought so um, yeah, so I mean, legacy-wise, it's it's, I mean, there's no question about it. It's it's very different. I think everybody knew that even as they were watching it, mm-hmm. and I think that was where a lot of the backlash came from. America was a very conservative place. Mm-hmm. 
just politically and also yeah. you know culturally at this level so yeah. um they weren't really ready for for something this out of left field um which i'm i'm surprised to find out that it was so close to cancellation that people were worried about it by the yeah, third yeah, or fourth week. Yeah, yeah. But it was renewed and the second season obviously didn't do Great. nearly <laughs> what it what it should have done or yeah. could have done. But um but the the seeds were there and and you did get that second season. Even though and I think the the reason that the the finale did so well is they did tease out that they might reveal who killed Laura Palmer and of course that didn't yeah. happen. So maybe yeah, there was yeah. some backlash on that front. But well, then yeah. you have a whole summer hiatus period where you they were just, well, and, yeah, and yeah. Pe- that's what people did. Like, did Cooper survive? And who survived the mill fire? And there were a lot of questions to keep people going, yeah. which I think is where the success of the format comes in. Like, like pulling in that the soap opera elements mm-hmm. really made it successful and kept it on people's minds. But there was also a big push in terms of merchandising and, and promotion from ABC to get people to watch the season two. Season two. Uh, premiere in September, which yeah, which we will talk about. It did yeah. it did work, but um, to no great effect for the series because yeah. the first fifteen minutes of season two is not decisive. Well, yeah, when, it's yeah. it's again it's up to that point. Like season one had some weird moments, and we'll talk well, about yeah, this. Let's, later. let's talk about this now because okay, sure. we we talked about the art of the show, and and I think it's worth bringing up some some of this. Uh, what what really worked really well in season one in terms of what we saw on TV. We had some amazing characters and some amazing plot mm-hmm. and it yeah. combined in ways that made for amazing television. Yeah. I mean, still to this day, I mean, the the oddity of the characters, but also they're, they're you know, they have a very grounded base still. Um, you know, everybody from Lucy being an overtalker, but also, you know, a sweetheart who cares about Andy, her boyfriend, yeah. and uh, you have Truman who's, you know, the quiet lawman but he has a secret relationship with with the the wife or the widow next door kind of thing and i mean right down to cooper and audrey who are really the central characters of mm-hmm. of season one and arguably the whole series or it could have been the whole series yeah. um but in season one these two characters are are really at the core of it and uh i think they're the the thing that makes it successful is that their quirkiness comes from the characters. It's not Yeah. It's not just let's make an oddball character. It's let's make a real character who has a quirk or yeah. two. So yeah, you have a really real FBI agent who happens to very much like coffee and donuts and Tibet. dreams sometimes and, yeah. that it prophetically, yeah. right? So or a, let's have, you know, a a vampy sex kitten who whose palms itch and you know, with yeah, saddle was, shoes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, or or whatever. Yeah, it's, and who was an investigator and and really headstrong and and capable and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. So it it's not it's not I um it's comes from a from a place where the character it feels natural to the character, mm-hmm. and I think that's what makes well. And they built the character so well. I mean, yes. from every the introduction of like we would go back to that first episode. I mean, you just mm-hmm. you get the characters all in the first couple shots. Well, the first for half of that, the first half of the pilot. You're just I think the every characters. major character is introduced. Yeah, and, and we talked about how amazing those introductions yeah. are. Yeah, exactly. And in they, very few lines, yeah. you get the entire well, character. Yeah, I mean, except for Cooper's, but I mean, that's yeah, that's but, that's he's the main character. So yeah, you're gonna you're gonna devote some more time yeah. to him. But um, yeah, I mean, and then in terms of like, so do you want to get into the characters individually, or do you want to keep? Let's keep talking yeah. about this overview level. Because I, I wanted to bring up that the I think the other reason that that works so well is because Mark Frost and David Lynch were so involved in 
crafting, I think, that the whole arc of this season. Yeah. And the writers, the other writers that they had that they brought in were, they weren't just random people. They were friends of theirs and they were, you know, qualified directors and writers that they were bringing in. So it, I think it was more of a close-knit the group, yeah. Group that was working together. So the, the storylines and the character arcs stayed true far mm-hmm. um, far more successfully yeah. than it did in season two. Well, yeah, for sure season two. But I mean, even in comparison, I mean, I don't know a lot of about the right, what writing rooms were like back then, but it mm-hmm. was very much writing by committee. Um, it There was not a lot of room for individual expression or... I mean, you basically, you filled in a, a template on a script, really, for most shows. You had, um, there wasn't much variety or change. I mean, I think MASH is probably an, uh, a sam- an example against that. But uh, beyond that, I well, can't I think mean, of much... Well, I mean, Mark Frost and David Lynch wrote differently, though. Oh, yeah. David, no, yeah, Lynch, yeah. David Lynch wrote Cooper, and Mark Frost wrote Ben Horn. Or, like, yeah, that, yeah. They, they had their own characters that yeah. they wrote. yeah wasn't so much by committee in that sense maybe that's one reason why it was so yeah well i mean it felt different it was so good yeah exactly um, and i do know i i heard that the other writers once david lynch left he left after the second episode to um or the third episode second this is where who, i think who left? david lynch he he directed the cooper's dream episode yeah and then he, which was episode three but yeah yeah second episode after the pilot yeah he left to do wild at heart yeah. and um but i think even when when he was not present on the set all the time you could still reach him like he was still available this was yeah, still it, his show exactly it's still it sounded like they were both like they were co uh uh well they show were runners. Yeah, yeah um they were credited with uh, producer credits yeah but, yeah so you'd think they had their their hands involved they they were well, yeah. involved yeah i remember uh hearing mark frost describe it like he had he had an office there and yeah. even when he left in the second season to go do his own movie um and kind of basically left it to the shits. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he was still fairly involved. Um, and it sounded like it was the same for uh, David Lynch when he went to go do Wild at Heart. Um, he, they were still involved, and they still uh, had creative control over the, the show, it sounded like. Um, yeah, I wonder if they vetoed anything or well, if anything... I, well, I'm sure at, at some point someone might have said, yeah, you have to finish season one with Funny mm-hmm. How Killed Laura, Laura Palmer. Not a huge uh, cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't. They, you know, they powered through and, right. and they made the mother of all <laughs> cliffhangers. In well, the until they top it in season two. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, and it, it is really, uh, some other legacy pieces are just, you know, like the music, again, is, it was not like anything else you would have mm-hmm. heard. It was ambient. Well, yeah, but... it was, it was movie score level m- music. Well, but it, I mean, even, I'm trying to think of like a, a movie that, would have sounded like that. Well, Blue Velvet. Yeah, or... no, okay, but not a Stephen Lynch, okay. Angela Benalamenti movie. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else like that out there at the time. And I, I mean, I'm trying to think of anything from well, the, the late seem 80s. Well, the 80s to be very, uh, maybe The Godfather. Well, yeah, which okay, comes but quite that's a, bit a traditional that, but... symphonic score. Like, that's not right. But that isn't that what you're talking about? This was a... no, no. I'm saying this is a break from everything else that's on TV in terms of score at this time. Oh yeah, like, of course it was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, like, but then you were talking about movies, so I got confused. Well, yeah, no, but I'm saying it's past anything intelligent. Is there anything even in film that was like this? And I, I'm yeah, there were there were 80s art house movies that had similar scores. I'm sure, but I don't know any of them. Yeah. You're looking at me like I'm... No, I, I, I'm not sure where you're going with it. No, I'm just saying, okay, This is, the music also contributed it to being a legacy piece. Like, it, it, that's what part of what made Twin Peaks so good was the music. 
Right. Okay? Yeah, I will agree with you on okay. that. Okay, okay. That's all I was saying. Okay. I'm saying it was different from anything else that was going on at yes. the time. Yes. Yes, okay. Yes. So we're in agreement. So where does the legacy come in? So after this, does this does the music influence other shows that came after this, maybe? Uh, yeah, I'm sure it did. I can't think of anything. Yeah, there's not really anything with this. I mean, this is, it's a David Lynch score, it sounds like, in a lot of cases. But I'm trying to think of, uh, like, Mad Men kind of uses, uh, how did you describe it? It was, there's background music, which you're not, the characters aren't supposed to hear, and there's music in the scene that they are supposed to hear. And Mad Men uses that occasionally, too. Like, I'm thinking of the the Rubber Soul or Revolver track. Yeah, right. um, there's a couple other instances of Well, but Mad, of Man, Mad Men is kind of different because they it's a show that's meant to capture the 1960s, and, and it exists in a period. You're trying to set it in the period, so you had to use contemporary music, and the actors or the characters had to interact with that I music. Know, I, so it's, yeah, exactly, but that's what I'm saying. But even in, in this sense, I don't think Twin Peaks has any equal in that regard because you can't even pin down Twin Peaks to a specific time period. Yeah. The music doesn't okay. fit the like it's nineteen eighty nine but the music sounds like it's from nineteen fifty nine. Like it's it's so I mean I know you really love saying that. I don't I still don't You like, don't care then. Yeah, okay, this there's some like surf rock kind of Yeah and like the jazz stuff. Yeah, but I mean it's not contemporary nineteen eighty nine music is what I'm like they didn't have not, jazz in nineteen eighty nine. No, like, <laughs> of course they did, but it it's not it doesn't feel contemporary. When you watch a show like most of the shows from the eighties and the movies from the eighties that I think about use a very contemporary score. They're they're using yeah. popular music from the time. Yeah. Twin Peaks there's no contemporary references to anything in well, that I don't show. know. The the love theme is kind of sounds like a it could be like well, an eighties pop ballad. But, you know, without any lyrics or yeah. anything or other instrumentation. Well, there, were, but... there are lyrics to the song. Oh, really? Yeah, Julie Cruz. It was her oh, song. Oh, okay. And it was a minor hit for her, so. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. So I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm yeah. just trying to say, like, I, I just don't think that there's anything that it's, it's, it's so different you can't compare it to anything, is yeah. my point. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. But, but I think you're right that it, it sets a, a pretty high bar when it comes to, um, music and soundscapes being mm-hmm. an important part of a show. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing, you know, the Simpsons theme song yeah, is, is more iconic, so yeah. iconic. Yeah. And the the Danny Elfman score just in general for that show yeah, was, was always really With the dissonance great. and the yeah. everything. Like, I remember trying to play that in band. Which <laughs> yeah, I, you were telling in me that. In grade yeah. seven or grade eight, our band teacher brought it in. And we were right. all like, that, that's no. too many accidentals. <laughs> like, there's no way that we can play this. I barely can hold my instrument. Like it was, it's, it's challenging music, but that's unique to, to The Simpsons, and it's something that is instantly recognizable. It's like Twin Peaks. Like, it's instantly yeah. recognizable if yeah, you're familiar yeah. with the show. Exactly, yeah. And even if that's you hear, true. you know, other uh, Battle Menti songs or other songs by Julie Cruz, who was the, the Roadhouse singer, yeah. or, you know, even David Lynch's music that he does, mm-hmm. It sounds very like it comes from the same place, place yeah. and it's otherworldly. It doesn't yeah. come from our world; it comes from Twin Peaks yeah. world. Yeah, and that's that's what I guess that's the best part way to describe it, is that the music also became just part of the show. It was 
it was emblematic of the show and it it channeled the feel of the show which is that it was almost like another character yeah exactly it's like the setting it's like any of these other pieces of the show that really came together and and and, uh combined to to form this thing so we've already been talking for 40 minutes i know halfway into our stuff okay so what do you want to do next well we we kind of talked about the characters do you want to talk specifically about characters yes let's Let's do do a couple of those so let's 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 start with let's start with the lesser characters that maybe aren't as like Josie? Yeah. Yeah, Josie. So we want to talk about uh, kind of the arcs of these characters and how yeah. they, they kind of change over the over the course of the season and how you learn more about them. Mm-hmm. And Josie's an interesting one because I know... Well, like how we started off watching yeah. her and viewing her as this like ornamental, oriental, almost quasi-racist... Yeah, kind of character almost, yeah. yeah. And then the way that she develops over yeah. the course of the series, or like, the course of the season. Yeah, through her relationship with Truman to uh, all the backstabbing all the bad she does. stuff. Yeah, that she's going Jeez. on. Like, how she wants to burn her things. own mill down. Yeah. Like, oh man, there's just. Well, and so she was involved there. in the death of her husband. Yeah. Oh, did we learn that in season one? Well, yeah, because Hank was the one who. Oh, that was at the end of season one. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We find yeah. out that Hank was was involved with with yeah. killing Andrew. Andrew Packard. So and you're like, what? like, so she starts. It, it it lends. So when you watch season one again after learning all of this, it lends a certain sinister. I use that word a lot too. Well, in this series, it's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's this underpinning that you can see throughout all of her scenes that yeah. that you think. But even still, when I watch it, I still get this feeling like I feel sorry for her. Oh yeah, no, I, I, yeah, even like later on, like you, you, in season two, it becomes even more complex. But in season one, you can't help but think, but wonder. I mean, you never really know at the end of season one why she killed Andrew or yeah. why she was involved in the killing of Andrew, yeah, or you know why she wants to destroy her own mill or any of this. So you wonder, like, is someone pressuring her? Is she actually because she she does seem still really innocent and and pure, and she. She really yeah. does seem like she wants uh, Truman's help mm-hmm. in dealing with this. Like, she's concerned for her own safety. Um, I mean, you get that hint from Cooper, who's not so sure yeah. of her motives. Yeah. Um, but as a viewer, you really don't know uh, why she wants to do any of this. You don't get any of her motivations. So you're still kind of wondering, like, oh, is, is she a good guy? Is she a bad guy? Whereas before, she was just this, yeah, this ornamental fluff. And which I changes quickly, yeah. And I love that... that- she changes. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know. Normally, I don't like bad guys, but on Twin Peaks, I like the bad guys. Oh yeah, all the bad which guys. Which is yeah. weird. Like, and contrasting Josie with Catherine. I know she's not on your list, yeah, yeah. but Josie and Catherine being these two strong female businesswomen with their own interests, and they're gonna go out and get what they want. And, I love yeah. that. That is, you know, we watched um, uh, Bridget Jones's Diary the other day, and. Looking at this very 90s feminist, you could have it all trope that was so popular. And now, you know, looking back on it 10 or 15 years later, like, this is so dated. Like, oh, my God. Not a great idea, guys. (laughs) But when you watch a show like Twin Peaks and you see someone like Josie or or Catherine, it almost feels like this is some this is so much more realistic. Mm -hmm. Not that that women in business are going to backstab their male partners or female partners and try and kill them and you uh, no, know but, but but there's there's a, a the reaction and they're yeah yeah they're, the way they go about it yeah. like they're they're duplicitous but they do have a, a core to themselves like Catherine at the end she's she's yes with like, her emotional... proclaiming love for Pete again and yeah cuz she needs that. help and yeah, and yeah it's, it's self-serving but and it's funny because 
those two characters invert. Like at the start of the season, Catherine's a bad person who's sleeping with Ben and yeah. wants to burn down the mill. Despite you don't really her... know what she's up to. But no. Once you find out what's going on, you almost yeah. And then by the end, like her she, more. You figure out yeah, she's like this badass who's like yeah. just standing around in the fire like we talked about. Saving Shelley. <laughs> yeah. And Josie's this like you know conniving person who you know does some bad things. Where at the beginning two. of of that of the yeah. season, we don't really know anything about her, but. We're she not giving any reason to like her. Soft, she wants yeah. to shut the mill down because, yeah. you know, uh, Yannick Pulaski's daughter yeah. is missing. And yeah. she she's hugging the sheriff and she's wearing her fur coat. And it's like she they completely invert. Yeah. And it's a great it's a great movement for those two characters. And, and there's a couple of those. We'll, we'll get into the duality themes in a bit, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those characters are definitely mm-hmm. really well done. Um do you want to go on to Leland? I think Leland. Is the next okay. One. So fantastic. Leland yeah. Palmer is really such a great character in this show. Yeah. And one of my favorites. Yeah, and in the first season, it comes to the head when he murders Jacques Renault, right? Right. Um, which you really kind of don't see coming. I mean, well, okay. I... If you told me at the start of the season that this guy who's crying and holding on to Truman's arm and barely managing when his daughter dies and who cries over her body was gonna like wind up killing a guy in cold blood with a with a pillow like i would not have i totally would have bought it you would have bought it i totally would have i okay i would have too except for um only because you see him go through it as throughout the season right like he has yes. the weird okay dancing and stuff yeah yeah i will qualify it okay, with go that. On. Okay. because because that's that's exactly what i was gonna say because of the way his character arc progresses yeah. it's it's a slow nervous breakdown yeah and it's when you're watching it happen, it doesn't really register. But when you look at the totality of where his character goes in that week after Laura's murdered, um, the breakdown is so nuanced and so uh, carefully plotted mm-hmm. that it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And and I totally 100% buy It's not like it comes out of left field for the character that we know. Yeah. That exactly, we've come yeah. to know. Yeah. It it might have been if he killed him at the end of the first of the end of the pilot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But because of the way they scripted the character. Yeah. And, and I've heard I've heard that. Ray Wise Ray Wise originally uh, auditioned for the role of Sheriff Truman. Yes, yeah. But was called back to uh or I don't know if he was called back or if eventually he, he was told him, yeah. that he was being cast as Leland. So he went back and read through the script and he's like, All this character does is cry. cry yeah. Like this is literally all he does for the rest of the season. But um, it's it's so believable that this is where that character is going to go. That the crying leads to somewhere so powerful, and Leland becomes such a such an important, crucial character for season two. Yeah, well, and even like, even for some of the supernatural elements, Leland really becomes a vessel for that. I mean, his whole dancing with the music where he can't help himself. Yeah, it's and, almost like the only supernatural element that in, doesn't... in this season. Yeah, like the we. Like we were gonna talk about some of the plot stuff, but it's it's uh, there's not much supernatural in season one, and you do you don't really get that. I think season two, part of the reason it bond was because it introduced this supernatural right. element in a much stronger vein. Um, watching it now, you're like, oh yeah, it's just a logical progression. Right. And season two gets kickstarted with a big dose of that with the giants and mm-hmm. and the waiter and everything. Um, but yeah, season one really doesn't have much except for these weird instances of. Leland dancing really is well, the weirdest more, thing that kind of happens. Yeah, that's supernatural. The vision stuff is yeah. maybe there's hints of supernatural elements going on there. Yeah. But it's more esoteric and new agey than yeah. it is anything yeah. else. It's like exactly. meditation and we're yeah. gonna talk about 
you know, transcendentalism yeah, and, and that kind of thing. and stuff, yeah. It's, yeah, which is, which is a, t- it's not supernatural, it's... It's mystic almost, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. a little different, yeah. Which is coming, it's, it's, I think supernatural is something that comes, it's supernatural, yeah. it's, it's outside, it's outside yeah. of the natural. I think this is very much a natural process. Exactly. That's, you know, yeah. it's all coming from inside Cooper or inside Sarah or inside Leland's head. Like, yeah. that's where it's... The opposite of supernatural. Yeah, 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 yeah. International. Um, no, sorry. No. <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I think yeah. you're right, though, that that might have been part of the reason why season two... And, uh, and, and struggles, yeah. And when you start introducing supernatural elements and then you run away from the show and you let other people come in and put their own supernatural elements well, in, then you get magicians and you get... Like, well, you get the kid, whatever uh, it is. Well, is. yeah, just weird devil stuff, yeah. and like uh, it goes. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's just it's just let's make it a Halloween episode, yeah. you know, yeah. and then it doesn't. It goes way off the rails. Yeah. So, but but, this but Leland, is, yeah, was yeah. was the one who kind of conveyed that throughout the whole series. Um, well, well, yeah, I think the, the Palmers in general. Are, yes, yes, are kind because of the Sarah has her has her visions. Yeah, and then Cooper having his. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, too, because um, of all the characters in the show who have visions, it's mostly female characters who have these Mm -hmm. kind of um, intuition. And then you get Cooper, who is not, he's decidedly not female. He's the hero, but he's carrying around these feminine qualities of intuition and and, and yeah. listening to his I mean, feelings. Major Briggs also has them, so I, I don't think I guess, it's quite as gendered. Right. Yeah. I think it's the Palmers do, because the next characters we yeah. want to talk about are Laura and Maddie. Yeah. Um, and Maddie has those. Not so much in season one. She doesn't really have much of the visions, but she does talk a little bit about how she knew yeah. Laura was... Uh, well, she knew was that, wrong or yeah, she, Laura she was in trouble. She used to have dreams. Yeah. Um, so... For those, uh, so yeah, so they, they kind of continue that the Palmers are, are strong with the Force, I guess. Is, well, and I, I mean, it's is it is it that the Palmers are just specifically in tune to this, or is there something about Twin Peaks that is? Well, yeah, has imposed itself on the the Palmer family, yeah. or yeah. and 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 upon the town because it's not it's not just them. By the end of the season of season two, there are a lot of characters who end yeah. up being affected by by the supernatural mythological elements that are that are let loose in the course of the rest of the season. Yeah. So um, it makes you question. And then if you bring in the the secret history of Twin Peaks, which yeah. we're trying to keep this spoiler more, mostly nah, spoiler-free, spoiler free, but, but I mean, the book does introduce a lot of mythological elements yeah. dating back 250 years yeah. almost or yeah. more. Um, based on the, the strata, the landscape, the mountains and the, valleys and the caves and the waterfalls all around twin peaks so um it does it does make you wonder if the if the landscape you know we get lots of images of trees and wind and oh yeah it's a major character still so and yeah it becomes even more of a major character if that's if that's if it is channeling the supernatural which i would argue it is oh yeah for sure okay no i don't think there's any we'd argue that so We'll get go to Laura and Maddie quickly, just yeah. because Laura. I mean, the fact that you get so much character development about a character who never appears except yeah. for in a terrible flashback and in well, a dream and, sequence. And, well, and, and that's dead. It. Well, and dead. Yeah, dead. you see her body Present and day. a picture. She's she literally is like in four different things. Well, every that's the every whole... episode ends with her picture yeah, too. Exactly. So she's omnipresent. She's she, in every episode. She's everywhere, but, but she's never on screen. But because of you get her character, character through everyone else's yes. discussion of her and. As that that evolves throughout the thing, like uh, from the very opening of um, 
you know, uh, Sarah Palmer saying, oh, well, she would have called. Why didn't she yeah, call or leave a exactly. note or something like that? That's um, a lot of character development right yeah, there. Yeah, right in, in that line. one line. And then you get it all the way to the, the cocaine and... Uh, her diary. Her diary. Her, her tapes. Yeah, the tapes with Dr. Jacoby is is amazing. Like that, and and that's just an amazing. Can you think of job. any other show where a character well, is not on screen but has so much presence? I honestly, as you said that, I was thinking of another one. Oh, no, uh, Hannibal was... Lecter in Hannibal is only on screen for like twenty three minutes or something. Really? Like that. Yeah, but he is obviously okay. the star of the movie. Yeah. Like, so I mean, there are there are instances like that, but I mean, Laura's not even she cannot actively participate, and yet her character becomes so important. And it touches all like. The first episode is all how her character affected everyone else as yeah. she died. Yeah. Um, and that's that in itself is really powerful. Well, and it, and it stays through the entire James, Don, Donna, Maddie yeah. love triangle. Yeah. Laura is there. She's, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not they acknowledge it yet, it's she's de- a definite presence, right? Yeah, and, and even like over her body, like the way you have that shot that you love of Cooper folding yes. her arm back up. I mean, yeah. they find ways to... To make her character interactive again. Yes. Which culminates in Maddie, really, which yeah. is, you know, she's kind of a, as we've said, a fill-in for, yeah. for, uh, for Laura. And so with Maddie, you, you get, but with Maddie, you get this, especially in season one, you can tell she's just a stand-in for Laura, and it culminates yeah. in her wearing the wig and pretending yeah. to be Laura. She literally becomes Laura. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean... That one's Maddie's slightly less interesting in this season. In season two, she gets yeah, more interesting. A bit, well, she has more to do. Yeah, exactly. They they give her more of a role. But um, it's it's the most obvious example of a duality or of mm-hmm. a, a um, doubles yeah, being yeah. being used, and it does kind of beat you over the head with it. Yeah, but but it's, it's, it's not it's a bad of, thing. But like no, I, it's kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, they do the whole invitation to love thing. Sure, and, yeah. And they point it out, and then when they have her you know, put on the wig. It's like the final. Yeah, the final exactly. Thing. But, exactly. but it, it, again, it furthers Laura's character in a way that, um, you know, Jacoby falls in love with her. And that's how I describe it. When he sees her again yeah. in, uh, by the gazebo and all, all these little touches. James of, falls in love with her. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. So, and then, uh, Maddie, even in the second season, the first episode, we just watched that one and she, she takes off her glasses and like twists them up and says she hates them. And it's almost like she's returning to become a bit more of a Laura mm-hmm. kind of badass character mm-hmm. um and yeah that's just it's just an amazing because i mean who killed laura palmer is the central question but who was laura palmer is really the central question for a lot of the characters yeah. and they, they and you as the audience you know gradually uh, come to answer that question yourself well and that's right? what's interesting about hearing that they wouldn't they never planned on solving her murder um who was laura palmer is the the thing that would have driven much more of this storyline. And then, because through their investigation into who this girl was, you find out who all these other people were, too. And that's where the interesting stuff starts to happen with all the other characters. You have such a varied cast with yeah. all these storylines going on, and and they all have their own ways of doing things and their own lives and their own plots that go on. And through their interactions or investigations into Laura or questioning about Laura or their response to Laura, you find out about them. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Yeah. And and it's almost like like yeah, Laura's not on screen, but she's such an important character. Yeah. For so many reasons, in so many ways. And yeah. it's Yeah, she's it's, she's one of those presence characters. Like yeah. the, the setting is one, the music is one. Uh Laura, Laura is, is, one. is one of them. And yeah. it's it's really unique. I mean I 
God, I'm trying to think of another show that has... I mean, it's kind of like the TARDIS is kind of a character in Maybe, Doctor Who or yeah. the computer in, in Star Trek, and every now and then they have an episode where... They something become aware or something, with, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and it and it kind of becomes its own character in a bit stronger sense. But it's sense. it's it's never this this much no. to this extent. Like Laura Palmer is Twin Peaks, and Twin Peaks is Laura Palmer, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why the show scared me so much when I was a kid because there was this tangible person who was killed, and maybe I didn't like the fact that it was a murder and it was yeah, scary, but scary. but um, but it it my. Just seeing the prom pic or the the yeah. homecoming picture of yeah. Laura gives me like, shivers yeah, almost still like, at this uh... point because you think about this town and it it's just set, yeah like Maddie is a stand-in for Laura but Laura is a stand-in for the town itself yeah. and and what goes on there yeah which it's and she's not even a character yeah like, well she's not a yeah an acting a present character, yeah. acting character yeah. but she's there all the time yeah. and that's yeah. such a success well and I think one of the exactly things and I think so that's going, jumping back a bit is I think that's one of the things that people latched onto yeah they, they were like who killed Laura Palmer. Like what kind of what kind of show starts with that kind of I question? Know. And yet, uh, and by the end of that first hour or hour and a half, you're yeah. like, yeah, who killed, who killed Laura Palmer? And you want to know everything about this girl? Yeah. yeah. And it's such a it's such a fantastic way of of yeah, it's, it's a great plot device, show. but it's yeah. also a great character. Yeah. Itself. So. Yeah. Um, do we talk about Cooper and Audrey? Yeah, we okay. can't talk about one without talking about the other. So Not let's just talk about together. Well, no, I think. <laughs> They are two sides of the same. Yes, point, I in think. season one, they yeah. are absolutely presented that way. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in terms of arcs, they both kind of go through uh, a similar thing. I think they kind of almost invert. Like Cooper becomes uh, kind of a, a, a townie. You know, he becomes yeah. a member of Twin Peaks's community in the end with the the trip up to One Eyed Jacks and using the Bookhouse Boys and kind of subverting the law in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. which we've talked about in the past. And Audrey, meanwhile, has become a mini FBI agent. She's, right. She doesn't care about her town or her family anymore. She just wants to get. Uh, she wants to. She solve latches the onto this outsider. Yes. And, and she yeah. wants him to take her away and live yeah. a life of intrigue, as she said. Uh, and that's. I really like that line. You've quoted that a lot. I, well, yeah, I, I think really it's like it's just it's it's, it's telling very, about her yeah, character. Well, it's, yeah, it's not the best writing. It's like I want him to take me away. And, well, no, but it's what it sound. It brings true as a as someone who once was an eighteen year old girl. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I get it. And it, it's great. It's just, you know, yeah, it's a little it's a memorable line. too. It is. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yes, yeah, so they have this kind of inversion uh, that happens over the course of the, the season. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know you probably have more to say than I do. So I'll just say my bit about Cooper. I think uh, his transformation is is based purely on his his sense of an innate kind of justice and, and uh, what is good in the world. Uh, and Audrey's, I feel, is just driven by, like, teenage lust. Like, really, she mm. at the end of the day, she just wants to sleep with Cooper and take and literally go away with him and leave this town that she, she kind of despises mm-hmm. and this family that she doesn't have much of a use for. Um, and I find Cooper's is much more interesting and nuanced. Hers, I've always found her kind of a boring character because I'm like, she's a kid. I mean, he's right at the end of the day. She's a kid who thinks this is what she wants, and by all means, I think she should go for it and succeed. But I don't think it's going to be exactly what she thinks it is. And that is borne out in season two when she bites off more than she can chew. But anyways, that, that's just kind of my read of the characters is that they have this inversion. It's purposeful. You're supposed to notice it. Um, they're both, you know, pretty brunette haired You can just say white brunette. People. Yeah, that's Probably. a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, and they're attractive and they have the same... Uh, 
personality quirks and stuff like that. But yeah, I find Cooper the much more interesting character, and I find his transformation much more interesting. Um, and the relationship, I agree with you guys. You've sold me. They are they are meant to be. They they were designed <laughs> to be together from the beginning, and it, and it very much shows. So yeah, uh, that's good. But sorry, what 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 are you thinking? Well. I don't disagree with you that Cooper is an interesting character. He is my favorite character on the show. But I don't think he's more interesting than Audrey. Okay, what's so interesting about Audrey? Really? Well, no, I think that I think what's interesting about Audrey is where is where her potential was. I think she has there the storyline that I think and I have no proof of this because I don't know if there are any, you know, extant uh notes or scripts or anything about where her character was supposed to go but i get the feeling that she started off being one type of character that as you said she's just a girl and she has these flighty dreams and she's 18 and and it's fairly it's not one note but it's fairly predictable Mm -hmm. and i have a feeling that over the course of all the things that she was going to experience and it was supposed to culminate with with the season two finale that what we got was supposed to have happened to Audrey. Yeah, not the not other who girl. happened, not who was actually there. Yeah. And I think that that would have led to uh, character transformations that would have been far more interesting, and it would yeah. have created a character that, like, we would have gone on this journey with Audrey from being naive and kind of wide-eyed and innocent and thinking she knows what she wants. And then maybe she wasn't going to end up with Cooper at the end. Maybe that relationship was going to fizzle out. And she, But that process would have led her somewhere. I think that's the tragedy of Audrey Horn is that this arc was aborted. And we don't know where she would have ended up. And what we end up getting is not um, satisfying in any way. Because it does yeah. fall into this. Like she just becomes an, another one-note character in a sea of one note characters yeah. by by the middle part of season two which is which is really sad because yeah. she had so much more there was depth to her she had emotional um attachments and yep. hints of of like that intuition or mystical mm-hmm. connection she had um there was just a lot of potential for her and i think that's what's most inter- interesting to me yeah because i look at her and i see an empty vessel almost that was ready to be filled and become something you know, as yeah. she grew up and as she matured, she was going to become a force to be reckoned with. And my concern with season three is that any time a character on the show has a stated interest, a, something stated, they want to, like Audrey says, she wants to leave Twin Peaks. And my, my worst fear is that she never does. And I said that in, in the, the fan fiction episode. Mm. And I, I'm like doubling down on it here. Miracle on, what's that Christmas movie where he never leaves? It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. She lives yeah. a little. It's a wonderful life in Twin Peaks. A little Peaks. bit, but I think it'll be. I think it'll be sad because it's. Well, it's sad and it's a wonderful life. What am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, but, but it'll be even hard, more, harder to deal with because we've already dealt with so much disappointment in Audrey's arc that if she doesn't end up having something miraculous or spectacular happen to her, I'm going to just be so devastated because yeah. I really do like her. I think she's she's a likable character, and I feel sorry for her. And I want. Well, see, that's the thing. I for me, it ends up being feeling sorry for her. And that's the thing, that's, okay, I, I agree. I think her character could have done great things. Mm-hmm. So, little spoiler, but when she comes back from One-Eyed Jack in season two, yeah. I think you could have gotten that. But yeah. it's just the timing coincided that that happened right before a major change in the show's tone yeah. and everything. And you never really got that. Um, but for the character that we did get, she never really evolves beyond that. And she never really 
goes in. I mean, no, okay, at the end of season two, this is, see, I was talking just about season one. Yeah. Who they are in season one, yeah, I find her right. very predictable. Cooper's a bit more dynamic. Um, but yeah, in the long run, at the end of season two, you do get Audrey kind of being an interesting character again, and you can tell that they're they're trying to build her back up into someone who has some, some dynamics and mm-hmm. some, uh, I guess, just more things going on with her character mm-hmm. uh, than what you get through the middle of season two, which is just the worst. Um, yeah. I want to challenge you a little bit on this notion that Cooper is a more interesting character. Yes, no, please. This by is all bickering means. Yes, Pete's, go ahead. I will show you down bicker. very happily. No, because I do think he's an interesting character, but I just don't know why Audrey is less interesting in comparison. I because just, she doesn't. Or predictable. You said predictable. She, well, she is very predictable. Well, how she, is Cooper? Cooper's pretty predictable, isn't he? No. He does everything by the book. No, he doesn't. We just talked well, about that. Going to... And throwing rocks at bottles and having dreams and forgetting who the killer is and not telling Truman yeah, and all these other I things. Think... She, he is in no way a predictable character. Okay, but Audrey presents as one thing and then she's something totally no, different. She, yeah, she, she never presents as anything else. She does. That, that's her biggest problem is she is never, you never see any side of her. You, you, you start to see that in the pilot. You get, she, she pretends to be, you know, a goody two shoes going to school and then she starts smoking. But, that's the only scene where you actually get her pretending to be a goody two-shoes. Every other scene she's in is she's either fighting with her... Wait, when does she pretend to be a goody two-shoes? She doesn't pretend to be a goody two-shoes. Yes, she does when she's going to school. She has that one shot where she's wearing her saddle shoes. Oh, and her that's dad. just her leaving. I think I'm reading that as like, daddy doesn't know that I'm wearing my red shoes to school. But exactly. as soon as I'm, I get to school, yes. she's not... Yes, and that's it. I'm I don't saying... think she's putting on the goody two-shoes. I think that's how she actually is when she gets to school... She puts on a persona of being this rotten but then she, sex kitten. Well, okay, and that's rotten the, sex kitten perhaps, but someone who's seeking danger, that's what her character is throughout the whole sh- throughout the whole first season. That's yeah. all she does. She investigates ruthlessly, yeah. and she's that's all she does. She is, like I said, she is the second best investigator after Cooper right. in the show. So how does that make her uninteresting? Because that's all she does. Okay, that, that, she has but, one motivation, she has one thing that she does, and that's it. She has, like, okay, and she wants to sleep with Cooper, but I guess that's really just, it's more selfish motivation. Like, that's, she does not have any but you dynamics don't see beyond. That, you don't see that, you know, she has this terrible home life where her parents don't care about her, and she has a disabled brother who is, you know, she's, there's an, a cut scene that was not included, um, which if you watch it changes maybe a little bit of how you view Audrey, mm-hmm. that her parents blame her, or at least her mother blames her for Johnny's, disability um but so i agree well, I'm, I'm just like and then, and then that her father doesn't love her and her father loved laura more than her so there's internal motivations that are going on there that are i mean i i feel like that's that's the emotional aspect of that is so much more compelling than just you don't get any emotional turmoil from cooper and maybe that's the difference between you and i watching the show from where we sit in our gendered viewpoint or our uh, the context of our upbringings or the context of our lives that you would identify with cooper and i would identify with audrey no i don't identify with cooper well you like him more i identify with bobby isn't that weird that is weird. (laughs) that is odd that is really i don't know why but bobby's just cool to me and i don't know why (laughs) i'm just like i want to hang out with bobby he just seems like a cool dude and he's not he's a jerk especially in the first season but in any case um no i think I, okay, I'll grant you there's there's stuff hinted at. And I guess it, Cooper only gets hints too. But he's he's much more upfront about them. And I guess here's the difference. 
thing with okay, so when Cooper and Audrey meet, yeah. you get Audrey prying into Cooper's personal life. She asks, like, do you have any secrets? He says no. Um, he tries. She tries to sleep with him, and he, he mm-hmm. you know, he explains his personal morals. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, here, I guess the equivalent of that is when Audrey is with her father. And so there's only really, as far as I remember, two scenes with Audrey and her father. One is the very start when he's mad at her. For dancing? For dancing. And listening to music too loud? Oh, yeah, and and fighting off the Norwegians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scaring the Norwegians off, right? Um, In which case, which is a really good scene, again, because it's like, oh, I lost you years ago or Mm -hmm. whatever it was. And that sets up that dynamic really well. But it's never built upon because the only other time is when she's trying to get something from him again. She wants to. Yeah, she wants the job. Yeah, she wants the job. Sorry, eventually at one eye jacks, yeah. and so you never really get much of Audrey's motivations. You get a, you get a few hints. She's, she looks at uh, her brother through the thing at Dr. Jacoby, um, taking off his headdress and stuff. Um, and you can see she's maybe a little upset there. But and she get, when she talks to uh, Donna, you get maybe a little bit. But again, most of what she's thinking about is Cooper. Like, okay, but what, what do you want from her? Like, Do you want her to come out and say, this is what I want? No, I want I wanted the sh- I wanted the show to give her a bit more of a dynamic set of set of conditions okay. to work under. But I think she had a very rich inner emotional life that that underpinned her decisions. I think I, she. But felt, I don't think the show presents that at all. I don't no, think, I think it absolutely does where? present that. Where? I think all the hints that you get about the way she reacts interacts with her father, the way she interacts with her mother, the way she interacts with the townspeople she has zero or doesn't scenes interact with her mother. She has one scene with her mother and then the cut scene that that didn't make it in. Okay. But but the way that her family interacts with one another, the, her home life that she comes from, the way that the people in town don't react to her and don't really they Ooh. know her but they don't they they regard her as odd. You get all these hints that she doesn't quite fit in. She doesn't have a place that she fits in. She doesn't have friends that crowd around her when, you know, Laura's dead. She doesn't crowd around anyone either when when they find out Laura's dead. Like neither does she's James. A, like, no, I, I know, but but Donna and James have their back and forth. I, you know, there's 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 an inner life that or an inner feeling that she has that I think is motivation enough and and when you see her go off to one-eyed jacks or when you see her put herself in danger to help cooper or throw herself at cooper it's because this is the first person who's ever paid attention to her in a positive way in her entire life that's what i get i see this girl who hasn't had a positive interaction with anybody maybe a few pleasantries at the double R that's it and all of a sudden somebody comes to town and he lets her sit down at the table and he knows her name and he you know and 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 tells her a little bit about her handwriting and 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 recognizes she has a romantic nature and a heart that yearns and all of a sudden it's like you're paying attention to me like that that is motivation enough for me to say but I'm saying that's just about her attraction to Cooper I don't think there's anything beyond that okay I, I think that's the start of it, though. That's my point. Is okay. that it, I don't think it needs to be more than that right now because we've only had seven episodes. And I don't think you get any more from Cooper. You don't get anything about his backstory. You get one little throwaway line about how his one person taught him the meaning of commitment and responsibility. But you don't get any sense that he has a lot of friends back home. You get nothing well, about his family. No, you get his interactions with Albert, which are... You know, yeah, full of just conflict about and... as much as you get an interaction between Audrey and her father. That's what I'm saying is that 
for Al- <laughs> Albert is like a secondary character who who helps push Car- Cooper's character along. Yeah. Uh, ben is the primary force for Audrey's character development, and it is very minimal. It is not He's not nearly the sp- primary force for her. Yes, he is, except no. for Cooper. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Uh. I'm just I'm just saying that that there's enough in what isn't said as what is said, and I think that makes it interesting too. I don't agree. I really don't. Well, I, then I, you I know lack you're... imagination. No, I don't. I think I think Audrey is in the first season is on par with. Ed, Norma, oh uh, wow, Shelley and Bobby. They are they are they are fairly flat characters with basic. And you literally drives. just said that they that these two characters, Audrey and Cooper, were the the central characters they, for they season are. one. They but are. how can they be one note and a central character? You're contradicting yourself. No, now. because I think Cooper's really probably the most well developed character, except for you know the other ones we talked about. And I would argue that that Audrey had. As much potential as Cooper did. I agree, she absolutely and did. She and is, I and am very sad that you don't see it come to fruition. But based on what's on the actual screen for season one, I find her just a little underwhelming. I am so appalled. I know, right now. I know, I'm you're so, so hurt. Appalled. I see it. No, it's not hurt. It's just like I I disagree with you so strongly <laughs> that we may have to sleep in separate beds tonight. That's fine. I have to go to work tomorrow, so I will sleep alone and I will wake up early so I don't wake you up. Sound okay? <laughs> it's just air our domestic grievances. <laughs> Whatever, but no, like I, I, I agree that I think she she had great potential. And she they do set her up throughout this whole season to be Cooper's partner, um, partner in solving crime, absolutely, and probably his romantic partner as well. Um, what I don't get is actually what I enjoy more in season two. Audrey is that she has she cares about things. She cares about. Uh, the you know anti Ghostwood Estates and and the okay, bank but, and, but, but but she it's it's something that drives her that's not um, and she has the whole well yeah we won't get in too much season two but I find that I find they they needed a little bit more of that in season one and I think that would have come out I think that would have come out in the if the arc of Audrey had continued she would have developed these other interests as well yes. Um, and I think that I don't think they're not there. I think that I think th- they're I think not there in relying... the text, Lindsay. They're I, not. Okay. You can't. You guys are looking at the gaps in the text, and I say you guys because I just finished listening to you and Alexis talk. I was editing the podcast where you and Alexis were talking about Audrey and Cooper for the for fifty minutes. So I'm saying you guys, but mostly you. You're looking at gaps, and you're saying, "Oh well, she's not this, so she must be this." And you guys are tra- you're filling no, it in a little. I bit. I think I think it's just. It's a natural thing to look at a TV show or look at a book and imagine the interior lives of these characters. And I think that's something that you're not doing. I am doing it, and I'm, but I'm doing it within the, the bounds of what's actually shown on screen. If, if, the, if the writer does not write anything on there, I'm not going to imagine something. Okay, it's that... not like I'm imagining that she went to the moon or something. I'm not. It's a realistic leap to say her father clearly doesn't have as much regard for her as he did for Laura. So maybe their relationship isn't as good. Maybe that's motivation for her to want to ruin his deal with the Norwegians. And And I get all that. You get all that in the first episode. That's what I'm saying. It never grows beyond that. 
It's it's it goes from oh Audrey's kind of like oh. well she doesn't get a ton of screen time either so let's just be realistic here Cooper gets the bulk of the screen time so of course he's gonna have more on screen yes, yes so sure. so just based on that the person know, who has the I most know. screen time on any show is gonna be the most interesting these other one characters team. who transform over the course of the season Audrey does not that's all I'm saying that's all and I'm saying. I think she absolutely does she okay. goes from being mischievous and only out to cause trouble to being someone who I think she does very much care about helping Cooper. And yes, maybe it is only because she's attracted to him, but why is she attracted to him? And I think that's important. And you can imagine why she might be attracted to him. Yeah, because she's in the buttfuck nowhere and she finds there a you good go. looking so guy all from of a outside. Sudden, all of a sudden you have uh, an interior world that is influencing the action that you're seeing on screen. You just imagined it. So, so she said as she much. doesn't say that nothing happens in this town. I'm in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, and yeah, she does. She when she says that he will he's take a her tall, away. Handsome, yes, you're inferring though. Is what I'm getting at. That's all I'm getting at. Okay. Is that you're yeah. making inferences too? Yes, but, but you, mine are supported by direct quotes from so the text. So are mine. Mine are not not supported. All right, all right, all right. We're just I'm picking just, different texts, different yes, parts of the text. And I'm just saying, okay, okay. You're right. We're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one because we're not gonna come to an agreement. We You're still sleeping minutes. alone tonight. Yeah, that's fine. I expect as much when we have a big Green Peaks episode. <laughs> um, so those were the main characters that we wanted to talk about, and I think we've done a pretty good job, especially with the last two. Uh, do you want to talk about the plot next? Sure. Okay. So I have three notes here: um, the pacing of the plot, how well that worked. Um, the expansion of the plot. So it started off as just who killed Laura Palmer and then you get all these other storylines uh, weaving in. And then kind of the, the main one that drives them through is who killed Laura Palmer. So um, let's talk about pacing first. Yeah, that's your point. I would like to hear more about what Well, you okay, think. so uh, it's based a lot on that interview I, I saw with Mark Frost where he described, uh, especially the season finale, where he had all these plot lines and he's like, we're going for it. We want to get renewed. We're going we're gonna, to, you know have all these like cliffhangers come together and the way that works naturally when i didn't know i think the first time we watched this we were just splitting it and i don't even think i asked what this was um this felt like just a mid-season episode so to me Mm. it was just like these are where the characters are at this point in time of course they're you know nadine's gonna overdose and uh jacques is gonna get murdered and uh, Leo's gonna get shot. Cooper's gonna get shot. Co- well, that no, that one came from nowhere. But uh, all these other things, you know, it's like yes, all these these plot lines have come together perfectly into this one section, and each of them felt um, appropriate, and they matched. You know, the characters were the ones that were driving each of those plots, yeah. and they they uh, they did so effectively um, that it, it's it's really incredible to me because uh, otherwise you. You know, like, I'm trying to think of another show that, that kind of does that um, that well. I mean, Where the yeah. plot is character-driven? Well, with a, yeah, exactly. And there's all these these multiple storylines um, pushing together to, to reach a kind of climax like this. I really... I mean, there's, there's occasionally a, a season of Mad Men would end yeah. on a, you know, two or three plots coming together. But it would never be... Uh, it would never be... Like six, you know, like and there were a few where there would be quite a few over the course of a season that they would come to a head in in an episode or over a, a two episode arc or something. Yeah, I mean, Mad Men's kind of a weird example because they had kind of two kinds of episodes. There were plot episodes, and then there were character episodes, yeah. and that they a lot of the times they didn't always. But I think mix, but. I think one of the things that makes 
Twin Peaks interesting is that you can't have a standalone episode of the show. No. That no. You can't like you can't pull an, an episode out and just watch it and expect someone to get it. Like yeah. When I introduce people to it, I always end up watching the pilot with them. Yeah, because there's how else no. Do you, you get, there's I no mean, other place to start. <laughs> my first introduction was of the season two pilot, the season two premiere episode. Yeah. Which is weird because it brings you in like in media res, like right. Yeah. In the middle of a weird ass moment. Yeah. But. Most people wouldn't do that, and you couldn't miss an episode mm-hmm. and still manage to catch on, which is... Well, that, I'm thinking that might have hurt the ratings, too, because if you miss an episode and then you come back, you're like, what, what the happened? heck's going on? Who's this new character? Or what? Yeah. Why is this guy in the hospital all of a sudden or yeah. something, right? Um, like, that would be really confusing. Yeah, no, and, and that's part of, I think, it could be. I mean, this season stayed fairly consistent. It was on Thursday nights until it was on Wednesday nights yeah. for the last episode, but... No, but I mean, you still might miss an episode, You might miss... Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think that that speaks to the pacing. Yeah. Pacing. Yeah, I guess it would be pacing. I call it pacing, but yeah. It's, it's yeah, basically, it's, it's you know, the way that plotting. The, the way it yeah. was structured yeah. is such that a lot happens. And it and that Orlando Sentinel piece that I've linked um, on the SoundCloud, SoundCloud page uh, talks about how it's, it's too much to happen. And, and season two is not going to be a success because in a 26-week season, that's just too much to have, have going on. Yeah. And I disagree because I think well, it, it... Yeah. But again, at the time, this yeah, was this different, was, right? Yeah, like, you're right. You're right. But like, I think it's 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 unique. In, and that piece kind of typifies that, the response, I think, mm-hmm. that a lot of people might have had in that this was this was not the norm. And so it is it is a challenge... Or it would have been a challenge at the time to to handle that much. Now well, it's fairly yeah. commonplace, and so we watch it. Well, yeah. and it's not that. It's not. But we also have like you know all the technology to go back, and if you missed a thing, that you can stream it online and catch yeah, up no, to, yeah, the, to sure, the point. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Talking to Mark or listening to Mark Frost's interview, mm-hmm. uh, where he described how he set this up, I I get the sense that was again something that um, other shows couldn't have done. Uh, was structured the show so tightly as to reach a conclusion of the season one finale because, you know, it was tight writing schedules. And, I mean, they they had the benefit of only having to write seven Mm. episodes, really, Mm -hmm. um, after they got picked up. So over seven episodes, you can say, oh, okay, yeah, three episodes in the future, this is going to happen. Oh, and then that means two episodes from now we should do this. You know, it's a little bit easier. Whereas if you're plotting over 26... Yeah, 22 episodes. Yeah, it might be hard. So, I mean, that that article might have been correct. But if they had managed to pull it off in season two, like which I feel like they probably could have if they if they uh, really aimed for it, mm-hmm. um, that would have been incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's part of what made season one work so well is is this this short timeline uh, or the short uh, production schedule that allowed them to to uh, plot very tightly and you know really get a grasp on where the characters were going yeah. and how they were going to interact. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, again, that, that didn't happen in season two, which, no. which we'll see. No. Um, well, early on, it, it, it did. But. So, I mean, it could have been that, that Twin Peaks just bit off more than it could chew with a 22-episode yeah. second season. And maybe if they had kept it to, you know, what what we would expect from Netflix nowadays, now, like 13, 13 episodes. Or 10 or something, yeah. Yeah, then maybe it would have been... You but know, that's they not how have, network TV works. Not at all. Then. Like, you so, needed a full so, season. Yeah, and that's, I mean... Another theory, maybe why Twin Peaks wasn't as successful. Yeah. It just was ahead of its time, yeah. you know. And and one, this is one of the reasons why I'm very um, uh, optimistic about Showtime's handling of yeah. 
of Twin Peaks for season three because I've seen other Showtime shows like The Affair and Masters of Sex, which are tight and uh, have very, you know, Twin Peaks-like season arcs that mm-hmm. make a lot of sense when you watch them as, as a whole. Um, you get the sense that the people sat down in a room and plotted everything out on a whiteboard or something, and so they knew what was going to happen in every episode, and I, I know that's what's going to happen well, yeah. Well, in this case, especially because it sounded like they wrote the scripts years yeah. ago. Yeah. Well, they, maybe not years ago, but they they they, they, they went in there prepared. Yeah, it's not like exactly. they were writing on the fly or yeah. anything. Yeah. So. Which I, I'm not sure how much of that actually happened. Like, I don't think, you know, David Lynch and Mark Frost had already filmed, and all these episodes were in the can when they were worried that they were going to be canceled. It's yeah. not like they turned around and rewrote the finale for season one in order to make all these cliffhangers. Like they did that six months or whatever before the pilot even aired that those episodes were already more or less no, done because they didn't know how long the the thing was going to be no no like, they knew exactly how many episodes they had they bought the episodes they wrote the episodes and then they filmed the episodes so the episodes were already done by really yeah it's not oh. like they filmed them in in april no 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 i know then, that but yeah but they were worried about um no i I think they did film like no, yeah. no, Hans. Because I remember after the the first episode after the pilot, they said that's when they were just finishing off their episodes. They were just finishing filming, I think. Well, well no. we can check the dates. Again. They filmed all those in the fall of 1989. Okay. Because you can see the colors of the leaves and the, and everything on the trees, and then it aired in April of 1990. So by the time they were airing the episodes, it's not like they were still filming and could make changes in order no, to address no, yeah. problems in ratings, like. So I, I don't think we can we can say that that would have changed anything. Okay. But that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, pacing of the plot was was important. The expansion of the plot and and the relation to the who killed Laura Palmer kind of go hand in hand. I yeah. think starting off with that initial kernel of a question, which drives the plot absolutely, but becomes less and less important as you go on through the subsequent episodes. Mm-hmm. That is that what you mean by expansion of the plot? Yep. So you well, get, you know, just you had the extra things. You had yeah. the Hank Jennings and the fire and the mill plan and uh, one eyed Jack. But again, and, it all comes yeah. naturally out of this out of this initial kernel. We wouldn't be there if we hadn't if Laura hadn't been killed. Yeah. So because we follow the characters yeah. as they react to Laura's death, and and then, and then we get involved to into these, their yeah. lives. So we get you know Big Ed Hurley hearing about. Laura's murder from Donna and then we get a little glimpse into his life with the Drape Runners and yeah. and Nadine and then he's at the Roadhouse that night with Norma and suddenly a, a character that is you know introduced on screen and you don't think twice of him is suddenly a major character who is connected to two other big plot lines that mm-hmm. that then Norma has Hank and she has her relationship with Shelley and yeah. she has you know um that going on and Nadine has the drape runners and she has her mental health issues and yeah. so each character is like the spoke yeah or, or the, yeah, the, yeah. The, not the, spoke, the end the, on a on a spoke but then they <laughs> yeah. become another like another yeah, you know, yeah. Hub, so they yeah. all that's the word they, they fan out so there's yeah. a hub and then there's the spokes and then there's more hubs and there's more spokes and all of a sudden you've got like those when you're in elementary school and you make those those webs when you're going to write a story and your teacher makes you put you remember those? Yep. That's what you end up with. And and it all started with this kernel of who killed Laura Palmer. That's why everybody is gathered around and why we're there in the first place. And it is it is very uh, 
it's not in media rest, but it feels like each of the characters is in the middle of yes. a life already. Oh, yeah. And then you, you, you kind of go from there. And that's really what makes it works is And that's what really struggles with uh, season two, or one of the struggles of season two, mm-hmm. is that when they introduce new characters, they're just kind of there to yeah, it's like address... Their, yeah, their, their character just begins when they're dropped into the yeah, scene. Yeah, and, and their character is there usually to address another characters, but they themselves don't really have one. The exception is of, some of, like, well, yeah, like but that, I yeah. when I when I think of a character like Dick Tremaine who comes in yeah. season two, yeah. whose only Just, purpose is to be a, a a problem for Lucy and Andy, yeah. right? And, and then from there he, he gets his no, own character with the kid, of, you know. But it's not really it's, it's not really born out of any kind of inherent no. character that he has when he walks onto screen for the first time, yeah. Right. So I mean, he's an whereas, interesting. Well, he's not an interesting character, but he's, no, but he's, he's, he's one a of them. fun little character, I guess. But yeah, he doesn't. But he it doesn't contrasts offer him new. with Lucy. Yeah. Who, when you first meet Lucy, you get the sense that this is a character who was fully thought out before she appeared on screen. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know if Mark Frost and David Lynch actually did this, but I can imagine them writing down that Lucy was born on January third, nineteen fifty eight, and yeah. this was her, you know, her life that she well, led up Mark until Frost this point. Mark Frost is a novelist, and so are both of us, and we both do that. Yeah. Do, so this is what know. I mean. Like, and and I get the sense that every single character on the show that was that, that was written and and created by David Lynch or Mark Frost was created that way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that is why it's so successful that you why you can have Who Killed Laura Palmer be a, a massive storyline that fades into the background because all these other characters come from such rich backgrounds yeah. that we can draw on to make new storylines that become more interesting than the murder that brought us there in the first place. Yeah. And I, I think that even Audrey. Yes, sure. I think the one Don't problem is it me. The one problem definitely sleeping the, alone. <laughs> the one problem we run into is that um to keep the drama going in a lot of cases, they kill characters. Like they kill Jacques yeah. Renault and they kill his brother after like he's yeah. in one scene. Yeah. And then, so you're kind of running out of bad people, especially after season one where Well, no, Leo's there's still 22 million Canadians up there. They can just pull another Canuck down. And... That's true, and he'll be the bad guy for, yeah. the, for the week. But um, <laughs> And that is actually what happens in season two. But, uh, yeah, like, it feels like um, they're kind of weak in that regard, and, and it does come in. In terms season... of bad guys? Well, or just in Yeah, terms well, of... especially bad guys. The bad guys well, die. You, but even... Anytime you use murder or the death of a character to drive drama, if it doesn't feel natural... Well, it does. Not... It does in season one, but that's the thing. Like after a while, like um, in the start of season two, even you realize, oh well, it wasn't Leo who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you're looking for the third man, is what they mm-hmm, call him, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, well, where is this going to go after this? Like, what if they find the third man and they realize he didn't do it? Like, like, right, and then right, he's right. dead. You know, right. and it's it's just a, it's kind of you're a you're gonna run out of you're gonna run out of things. And well, yeah, but if they never solve the murder, it's just eventually it's they run out of leads and that's what happens in real life yeah. so it's it's not so far outside the realm of possibility no but then you need a, a central a second driving force because what i mean okay so and here's you get that in season two you do uh with what's his name windham earl windham earl but uh he's not built up well in the interim like uh he just kind of shows up after the well there's the big they drop hints and everything and it's yeah. it's in the first they half try. of season two it's it's but Mark He's Frost there. even says, yeah, that, but not as that much he, as yeah, he should have done a better job of incorporating uh, Wyndham Earl as the next antagonist. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you 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 kind of, uh, yeah, season two. I think it would have it would have lost a little bit of luster even if they hadn't uh, solved Laura Palmer's murder, mm-hmm. just because 
um, that central spoke was spinning so fast. Yeah. Uh, that central hub was spinning so fast that uh, everything else was just in a, a whirlwind around it. That when well, you're it, trying to catch up, or you're yeah, trying exactly. to keep things interesting, and getting something else to that point takes yeah. time and effort, yeah. and, and it a had lot to of, have been not a, not necessarily a slow burn, but you needed to think it out more than they did. Yeah, and that they had time to, and and to be fair, by the end of season two, you're back on that wheel again, pretty well. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's so much interesting stuff going on. And, I'd say within the last three or four episodes, things start to pick up yeah. in a much more first season kind of yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, feels natural for sure again. in the last two episodes, yeah. but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, the the expansion of the plot from away from Just who Laura killed Palmer. Laura Palmer works for season one so spectacularly. I don't know. Yeah, like I'm I'm in agreement with you that I'm not sure that leaving that unsolved was the only thing that would have saved season two. Mm-hmm. I'm not even convinced that solving the murder was the thing that killed it. Yeah, I think it was dead before they before they figured out who killed Laura Palmer, but. It's um it's it is interesting that they didn't um they kept going with that expansion of the plot past yeah. the point when they when they could have I don't want to say they could have stopped cuz I didn't I don't want them to stop but but they just it kept expanding and yeah. I think at a certain point it became farcical. Yeah. So I mean we we aren't we didn't intend on talking about season 2. So we we should yeah. stop ragging on yeah. it too much. We can talk about this in the season 2 re- recap. But I think that that what makes season 1 successful is that it is a tight season. Mm-hmm. It's well planned out, yeah. well thought out. Um, it's character driven and yes. it, it does expand beyond the central thing while retaining enough speed and momentum at the central yeah. uh, plot line to, to keep, keep the audience engaged and to make when you do get new offshoots to keep them to make them interesting because yeah. most of them are relating back to yeah. who killed Laura Palmer so yeah. yeah yeah season one was definitely great that way yeah so um, do you want to discuss themes or do you want to uh, yeah we can discuss themes quickly I think uh, they're all things that we've talked about in the in the course of the episodes yeah Prior to this, nature versus technology, appearance versus reality, good versus evil, and and just general themes of duality. Those are, are all dualities. They themselves. are all dualities. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. these are all. It, it, I mean, no surprise yeah. that David Lynch is going to deal in dualities. But these are all things like you know, good versus evil. You've got uh, well, obviously uh, there's a murderer out there yeah. who is the embodiment of evil, faceless, nameless you know, chaotic evil that exists in this good town that um, the Bookhouse Boys are protecting. Yeah. You've got... And then you've got against that Cooper and Truman, who are yeah. really the, the central... Uh, and Audrey, I guess, in a way. Uh, well, the just, central yeah, forces the law good. enforcement yeah. people. The, the Who are genuinely good people. Yeah. They, they, they care about the people of the town, and, I mean, Cooper loves the people of the town basically as soon as he meets yes. each of them, right? Um, except for the log lady. <laughs> He's still a little, a little hesitant by her. by her, but yeah. So you so you have that that kind of undercurrent throughout it, um, and a lot of these, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, except for the, I mean, a lot of the dreaming kind of themes that come up, um, those are the ones that they actually talk about. A lot of these other ones are are just kind of, um, they're subtext. They're 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 the ones that uh, you get by analyzing the characters, like appearance versus reality. Nobody, I mean, okay, there's a few instances where like. Oh, there was more to Laura than anybody knew. You know, James says that, Bobby says that, Cooper eventually says that. Everybody kind of knows that about Laura. Um, 
but it's not just Laura that that applies to, right? All these characters have yeah. more than we see. And even in the first episode, we talked about that, how that was a major... Um, Everybody's theme. living a double life. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's not... And, yeah, that's just part and parcel with a, a David Lynch production. But it's soap operas, too. Mm-hmm. Most most of these characters live double or triple lives. And yeah. it's, uh, it's no surprise that that would be where you'd find these characters. Exactly. Um... The interesting, most interesting one, I think, is the the nature versus. Uh, like, you say technology. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure that technology man, is the really, word. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's it's man's creations and or man's, man's tools. influence. I yeah, think more than yeah, anything. Yeah. So I mean, that's something that I hadn't thought about until we started talking about it. Now that's all I can see when I watch the show is that whenever something bad happens, it's an aberration of a natural order or it's mm-hmm. an aberration of a natural process Except, that leads to the bad thing. Yes, I for sure in almost every case, and even like the settings they use like the train car mm-hmm. is where the murder happens like a train car is a absolutely human like locomotive engine well, yeah, it's, and one it's, of a, the it's an abandoned train car yeah. on a train track in the middle of the forest yeah. so it's it's literally the the only human construct in presumably miles miles yeah and it's where the murder takes place yeah. the murder doesn't take place in the middle of the woods yeah. it doesn't take place next to a tree or you know there's there's no natural element present no. for the murder. Yeah. It, it is, a, it is, it's, yeah, when you get to fire walk with me, it's like, yeah. could have killed them anywhere, but they, he, yeah. they, the murderer takes Laura and Renette to this train car yeah. um, in the middle of the woods for, you know, basically, yeah, to isolate them, but also to, you know, have the, the privacy of a, of a human uh, kind of setting and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's, I didn't notice it much either, but mm-hmm. when we talked about the opening sequence, it's right there, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole, the fact that there's a, a sawmill yeah, and then there's all this beautiful nature and the sawmill is, you know, it's sharp and deadly and, and it's menacing. It's eating the trees. It's eating the trees literally. Yeah. And then, uh, you contrast that with the beautiful one waterfall and, or the um, bird sitting on the, the tree the branch that will not have a home if yeah. that tree is chopped down to make the wood at the Packard song, yeah. right? So it's, yeah, I mean, that's... When you get the husk of the giant yeah. giant log, right? It's like, yeah. here, we killed this, and it's like it's like a... It's a, it's a dead body. Yeah. It's a dead thing yeah. that's on the... Right next to the Right next body. to Laura's dead body. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... it's uh, Yeah. And then there's, there's even that, like, uh, Pete, when he stuffed the the fish in the yep. last episode, you know? Like, there's a lot of that of, like... Yeah, or the man- dead, um, the the stuffed animal head it, that's yeah, on the, in the, the desk in the bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of those kind of scenes of... Yeah. What's... The Great Northern is the one contrast here that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing what we know about what the Great Northern was supposed to signify in Season 2, had they gone on with this mythology that they were building, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting that the Great Northern... Is an entire. It's a structure entirely made of wood, hewn from the the landscape. It's perched on top of a, a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a you, neutral ground. That's almost how I kind well, of view but, it. I don't know. But you walk in and in into the Great Northern, and it's these rich earth tones. It's warm mm-hmm. reds, but red is not a good color in this in no. this world. So, it's not. A positive place and it's certainly I mean it's weird that this is where Cooper lays his head every night is in this place that is it's made of natural products but it's a man-made structure yeah. so I think I think it it's it's the perfect place for him to be 
at the crux of man and nature. Yeah. Um, but it is also where a lot of bad stuff happens. Yeah, like, and you know, well, I mean, he has he has all of his encounters in season one in his in his bedroom, mm-hmm. all of the supernatural encounters that he has. Yeah, and the start of season two as well. Yeah, happens in his bedroom. Um, but yeah, and then Leland has his uh, two yeah, of his outbreaks his mouth, there yeah. in the yeah. in the Great Northern dining room. Yeah. And so yeah, I feel it's kind of like. In season two, you get the red room. Uh, well, you see it in season one, yeah. but in season two, you see it as kind of a waiting room between, uh, you know, some spiritual dimensions of some sort. Um, I feel like the the uh, the Great Northern is kind of that gateway as well. It's kind of a, a between. Places. And I can't I can't help but see that as as a uh, it's done on purpose. Yeah. When you surround yourself with wood, and even uh, the line that I think it's Hawk who says to the log lady that there are a lot of spirits in these woods or something. Mm -hmm. And I think he means that we're supposed to read that as, yeah, the woods carry a a deeper spirit in in the woods in general. But I think each tree Tree, has a spirit. spirit. So when you've cut down all these trees to make a hotel and then you put it on the top of a waterfall and, I mean, occult symbology and just in terms of supernatural... um, uh, terms water is is an important mm-hmm. part of channeling the supernatural and and anytime you have flowing water you're more likely to have ghosts and and supernatural elements crossing over into into our world so you've got this 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 big building that's made of all these dead trees every one of them has a spirit in them and it's perched on top of a massive waterfall um of course there's going to be yeah. things yeah, going on going there. On this there, is going yeah. to be a major hub for not just human activity, but also supernatural or, or spiritual activity. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that Cooper has dreams here, and it doesn't surprise me that, that it's so close to the town of Twin Peaks where so many people have visions. I think that mm-hmm. the Great Northern is, is a, a, a symbol of the... Or if it's not a symbol, it's the gateway for the things, like you said, yeah. the gateway for the things that exist around Twin Peaks. It's yeah. the portal that they, or they where they through. can focus on and, and yeah, come through so many into of the town. dead brethren are, are well, yeah, right? There, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it, it in that sense, this show takes on uh, a almost quasi-religious text. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not, you know, a monotheistic religion. It's, it's a... It's a you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, deistic or yeah, it borrows or a lot First from Nations First Nations type yeah, kind uh, of religious creators and, and yeah, stuff, and exactly. even Hawk saying, yeah. you know, there are multiple souls and, yeah. and stuff. Which is what you get if you if you ever travel to the Pacific Northwest. It's an area that's imbued with a lot of that, the symbology and the um, that feel because of the the presence of the West Coast First Nations tribes that mm-hmm. live in that area to this day. The totem poles and yep. wooden structures. Yeah, and wood is very important. It's all it's all a very uh, unique architectural style that exists only mm. in these West Coast communities, and that's carried through. I think here that's just yeah, yeah. It's one more there, character. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think that's all I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to? Well, I, I want to talk about the Great Northern still forever, but I think. That- it's just it's just such an interesting place. It is, yeah, and I mean, yeah. We, after season two, we can talk yeah, a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. About where there are a lot of things and... where, that happen in the Great Northern, and it becomes a much more central 
uh, focus point in the few episodes leading up to the reveal of who killed Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, but anyway, um, this has been a season one recap of Twin very Peaks. long episode. Very long episode. Thank you for joining us. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/bickeringpeaks, all one word. Or you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Aiden Hales. That's A-I-D-A-N Hales, H-A-I-L-E-S, and Lindsay's at Linstam. L-I-N-Z-S-T-A-M. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. 